Hey, it's Brian here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Gobi More podcast. This past week has been very emotional. John and I have had a lot of discussions about what we can and should say about George Floyd, the protests, and the hurt that so many people are experiencing. We shared some of those thoughts in our latest newsletter. This episode is about the 80-20 rule. It was recorded before all of the protests, so that's why we don't address it at all. We considered holding it back, but ultimately decided to publish it because the 80-20 rule is a relevant topic to what we're all going through today. It's a tool for prioritizing, and now more than ever, we need to identify our priorities and work on the most important areas for progress. I've been particularly impressed with the work of Campaign Zero and their 8 Can't Wait initiative. I've put their links in the show notes. They have identified eight policies which they believe could reduce police violence by up to 72%. In the podcast you're about to hear, we talk about next level 80-20, and I can't think of a better example of that idea than these eight policies. As you listen, please think about how the 80-20 rule applies to the problems we're facing today. And if you haven't listened to the interview we did with Norris Frederick last week, please do. All right, on to the episode. Hey, John, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, what's going on, Brian? Nothing much. I've been uh, busy here, but I am looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, this is an interesting one. We were talking a little bit about it uh, before jumping on here uh, for the recording. And the concept of what you're talking about is, is, I feel like it's really interesting because it kind of forces you to reevaluate how you look at things in terms of what you're doing and how much of it actually is having an impact. Yeah, so the topic that I want to go into today is called the 80-20 rule. And I think a lot of people who are hearing this have probably heard this rule before. It's pretty famous. There's been books written about it. It's a topic that I think is very common in the business world, whether it's permeated through all, you know, all other areas. People use it and talk about it there. But I think it's partly what makes it so powerful and useful is... Uh, or what's so popular, I should say, is that it's powerful and useful. And I'm really interested to talk with you about it. Actually, let me take a step back. Best way to say this is, I teach a class uh, here in Japan to university students. And one of the topics that I teach is the 80-20 rule. So I've just done this class. And I've had this, I I always love this class because the 80-20 rule is such a powerful and useful mental model for thinking about the world. And most of my students have never heard of it. So for them, it's completely new. Like, And I I get this impression that by the end of the class that they just have like their minds are blown and they've and they come up with some, all these great examples. And so for me, it's been very exciting to talk with them and get all this feedback about it. And now I'm really interested to talk with you about it and get your opinion and your thoughts on it as an elite athlete, as somebody who's who's had just so many different varied life experiences and how you see this 80-20 rule affecting your life and the things that you do as well. Yeah, no, I... I... I'm excited to to talk about it. I'm curious to see what comes up because that's the coolest thing about these conversations. I have no idea what I'm really going to say. I know I've written down notes. I've done some prep for this particular conversation. It is a little bit, uh, I'm not as prepared as I, as I should be probably, but I kind of like things to be very natural and raw too. So at the end of the day, that's what these, these episodes are really all about is great conversations. So this 80, 20 rule, let's go. Let's, let's, let's see where this goes. Sure. Perfect. So um, I'll reference some of this in the show notes. You can find, there's an author named Richard Koch. I'm just going to put that out there for everybody. He's written a bunch of books. He's, he talks about the 80-20 rule. There's, you know, it, it's, they're great books. They're classic business books if you're interested in reading more about this. But I want to start, I'll just tell you a little bit of history because the 80-20 rule, what it basically says is that 20% of, let's say, what we do affects 80% of our results. Uh, and that's a very loose framework, and that's but that's the the, the context that I'm going to be talking about it in is that 20% of our effort, let's say, leads to 80% of our success, or 20% of our of our preparation leads to 80% of our results. Something along these lines. Where like, in my mind, this is where it's most important and useful as a concept. But historically, it actually comes from economics and from a social scientist back in the 1800s named Vilfredo Pareto in Italy, and he sort of just discovered this this relationship because he was studying land ownership in Italy, and he discovered that 20% of the Italians owned 80% of the land in Italy. 
And it just was, he was just crunching numbers, right? And he just looked at this and he said, wait, that's weird. 20% of it- Italians own 80% of all the land in Italy. And he thought, that's, I wonder if that's true in other places. And he started looking at other things mm-hmm. and he started realizing, yeah, like actually a small number of people own most of the land. Hmm. Interesting. So he starts looking into more things and he's like, well, let's look at wealth. Let's look at bank, like how much people have in the bank. Let's look at all these other things. And he starts realizing all over the place that there's a very... Uh, skewed relationship, a small number of people tend to have the vast majority of the resources in whatever you're looking at. And he and he actually sort of created this graph, his famous graph called a, um, a Pareto chart. And it, it just, it's a way of uh, illustrating that a few, a few have uh, uh, the majority of, of the resources or, or whatever. And Richard Koch, I think I was saying before, he kind of took this a step further and said, well, we know this rule exists, but we can apply this outside of just like economics and looking at land ownership or wealth or these other concepts, which are just like trackable numbers. And we can use it to think about our lives. And he, I, I credit him, he, he may credit somebody else before him, but I credit him with being the one who popularized the idea of using the 80-20 rule as a productivity tool, right? But the, the interesting thing to me about this is that it actually comes out of real relationships. And you can kind of see this in real life. Like when you really look, and to give a really simple example, if you look at your phone right now and you look at all the apps on your phone, if you were to try to put them in order of how much you use them, you're not going to use them all equally. 20% of your apps, you probably use 80% of the time, right? There's a, there's a, it might not be 20%. It could be 10%. It could be 2%. It could be 30%. The numbers don't even have to add up to 100. You know, 20% of your apps, you could use 90% of the time. Those two numbers don't have to connect. It's just sort of like this idea that a small number of the things that we do create a large percentage of the output or the results or the other thing that we're measuring. It's a really sort of universal idea. And I don't know, John, I'm throwing it out to you because I've been explaining it. Have you heard of this rule before, how, before I started talking to you about it, this 80-20 rule? And, and does it sort of resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the first time I really thought about the 80-20 rule was when I was working in sales uh, in my position at Big Purple Dot. I was looking at the team and we have, you know, really small team, but we are producing a lot of sales for a, for a small sales team and we were a high quality sales team, you know? So, I mean, the, the, the people that were on the team were high producers. So we didn't have a lot of people, but the people that were there were, were crushing it. And then we had a moment where we added, you know, an influx of, of new salespeople and they didn't last very long, uh, but it was like we doubled our sales team size and the numbers didn't change. In fact, the numbers went down because that dead weight was dragging down the production of the, of the other sales producers because they were having to go and spend time training these people and trying to get them up to speed. And it was funny, like I was one of the first real dedicated sales team members for that company. And a few of the other guys that came on, they were also high, luckily high producers as well. So we were just kind of like running and, and crushing it right off the right out the gate and these other people were not and 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 i didn't really think about it because i wasn't a manager so i was just thinking about it as a senior salesperson like man this this kind of stinks why don't they why can't they keep up with us and and the thing that that stood out and it wasn't they weren't trying it was just it was just going to take longer so what i'm saying is that we noticed that there was something going on there and i didn't understand it because i wanted everybody to succeed so when I talked to my manager, he brought up that whole thing. He says, well, typically in businesses, because he's been doing this for so long, he said, majority of the time, the majority of the sales are going to come from only a small percentage of the sales team. And everybody else is just kind of there trying to add to it. But they're not they're accounting for a much smaller percentage of the total revenue being generated from the sales department or the sales right. team. And he said it was kind of like an 80-20 thing where he says 80% of the sales are coming from 20% of the sales team. And I was like, what? And and he, I didn't believe him. I didn't want to believe him because I'm like, well, we all just need to work on it. But that's just for so many different reasons that that, that rule does apply in, in many different circumstances, especially it's very clearly demonstrated in, in that specific circumstance. But yeah, I think that, that that applies to all kinds of different situations. But that was like the first time that not only did I hear about it, but it was made very clear from the situation and circumstance that I was I was introduced to it by. 
Yeah, I think it's been pretty commonly accepted now. And of course, 80-20, the, the percentages don't matter so much. It, it could be different, but that there's always going to be a small percentage of the sales team generates the most amount of the sales. Like that's that's common throughout the sales teams, actually. And so your experience yeah. is is consistent with that. And in the same way, customers, you know, 20% of your customers might be generating 80% of your revenue. You have you, certain customers yeah. are just better customers than than others. They they buy more, they they invest more into the platform. They do they want more. And those customers are going to drive a an outsized portion of your success. And if you're a yeah. business, you have to be able to identify them. You have to know who those people are and 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 cultivate those relationships because those are the relationships that are going to make or break your company. Well, and that's and that's something that I I totally agree with, and and was have feel like I'm learning a lot more about even as we develop our business, you know, our different aspects of our business, and what's most important, what really makes the most sense, who should we be focusing on? And it's funny because, like my whole my whole thing has in my mind has been, yeah, I I really want to gain new customers, and that's great. But I'm like, gosh, when you you can easily in business, and this is something just to think about in terms of the 80-20 rule, I'm like, gosh, the majority of the people that are, are going to support you are probably going to be what Tim Ferriss called like your true fans, you know? And I'm I, in my head, ever since I heard of this phrase from Tim Ferriss of finding his 1,000 true fans, I'm like, that's, that's, that's like my baseline. Like, I'd like to have tens of thousands of customers someday. For, for Gobi Moore. And that'd be super cool. But I'm like, ultimately, if we can find a thousand true fans, people that will buy from us repeatedly, people that will support our message, people who buy into our message because our message actually resonates and, and validates their mindset, the way they want to think about things, the way they want to approach things. Um, the message itself, the three words, Gobi Moore, it's the thing that they want to use as their daily mantra. I want to find those thousand people and I want to connect and collaborate and, and, and with those thousand people more than anybody else because those are the people that are going to drive the success of our business no matter what's happening in the world no matter what's happening in whatever type of economy we're in globally or, or nationally uh depending on your country right for me i'm like i know that those relationships that you nurtured the best are the ones that are going to support you through the hardest times. And so I'm like, I, I feel like we have to put a lot of effort even now into our first set of 100 customers because those people bought into us when we were still figuring it out and something about us resonated with them. And I want to build on that. And I feel like that's the smartest thing to do for an, any new business is those first few customers It's so easy to overlook those people. But if they were willing to spend money with you in the beginning, why wouldn't they spend money with you down the line if you nurture that relationship, you know? And, and yes, so I, I think that that I think they're going to become the 20 percent for us, that first thousand people that we nurture really, really well, really wholeheartedly. And and so that rule for me, I've kind of like inversely been thinking about it. Like, yeah, we might not have 10,000 people, but I know that we'll, that first 1,000, I'm looking at the first 1,000 in my head. I'm counting them. Okay, that's that's 99. That's 100, 101, 102. And I'm like, all 102 of you people right now, you're going to get the best of Gobi more because you're making it happen for us. You know what I mean? So what I would say about this is I agree with you. It, what you just said about the, your early customers, the people who buy in the beginning, they are likely going to, they're much more likely to become sort of true fans and, and be with you for the long haul. But over time, and as your customer base grows, there's, we can use the 80-20 rule to just keep in mind that not everyone's going to be a true fan, unfortunately, like it's just not going to be the case. Ideally, 10 or 20% of your customers become your true fans. And, and those people, as they sort of self-select in, we have to have ways to identify with them and engage with them. And, and as a business, that's critical. Right. And, and if somebody doesn't choose to self-select into being a true fan, that's fine. It's wonderful if they're a, cu a customer. And if they're just somebody who uh, you have some interaction with or they, they, you know, they don't become a fan at all, it's like, okay, that's fine. You can't expect everybody to, to get the message. You can't expect everybody to invest the same amount. The 80-20 rule is just a loose way of thinking, okay, let's identify the ones who really are the most important and let's prioritize them. So everything you said applies perfectly. And it's just about, like, I feel like we can use the 80-20 rule to set the expectations 
to, to say like, hey, we've got you know hundreds yeah. of customers. Why aren't a hundred customers all engaging with us? Well, they're never going to. There's an 80, there's a there's a distribution of this, and a small percentage are going to be the ones who really want to engage, and a larger percent are never going to really engage, and that's fine. We just have to accept it and not not misread it, right? Well, it's a funny thing because you can look at yourself in the same way and go, well, I'm a huge fan of track and field, but I don't watch it all the time. Exactly. You know, and there's a lot of reasons why, you know, and, and some of it's like, well, I don't participate in, in it the way that I used to. So I'm not as, I'm not studying it the way that I used to. I'm not as heavily engaged into it, but I'm like, I'm as big a track and field fan as anybody in the world in terms of my passion and love for the sport. I, 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 obviously, I, as much as reasonable, I want to do as much as I can to support my fellow track and field athletes and, and, and any organization, credible organization that's associated with the, with the sport. But that's not my life anymore, you know? And so, I, you know, I wish it was, but it's not. And so for me, I'm like, gosh, I'm not doing as much with track and field, so I'm not supporting it the sport as a whole as much as I used to. And so I, I went from being, if you're applying the 80-20 rule, I went from being in the... The, 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 the 20%. Know, uh, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, and now I'm in the majority where it's like a lot of people aren't really supporting it the way that they otherwise should well, or could, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a reality to that is that, you know, it's a great observation that I don't think I really spoke about with my students and stuff is that, you know, at certain points you can be in the 20% or the 80%, right? Or something can change. Like the situation is not static. Like there's no, there's no entering into like the 20% is always the 20%. Just take an example that's not about like what you support or what you're doing in your personal life, but wealth, right? Like a lot of wealth stays with the same families and they have the same wealth and they control a lot of wealth, but, but wealth does come and go, right? Like people do drop out of the, the, the top 20% and they move down in, and people climb up from the 80% into the top 20% through their success in life. And it's dynamic. It changes over time. But the key thing I think about this is that there's a, just a rough relationship. It's not a law of nature. There's no, there's no fixed aspect to it where in everything you look at it, 80, 20 is going to apply. It's just this concept that a small percentage of, of whatever you're doing or whatever you're analyzing is going to have an outsized effect on the other variables you're checking. And to give a few examples of things that I've, I've done a little bit of research, reading, and talked about with my students, if you're in a business, one of my students brought this up and, and he said in his part-time job, they have meetings and he said, 20% of the meeting is important. 80% is not important. They don't talk about anything important. And wow. I think to myself, yeah, that kind of relates to my experience in, in a lot of meetings as well, right? Um, yeah. there's, there's this concept of on a, on a restaurant, like if you own a business and you own a restaurant, probably 20% of the items on your menu are going to generate 80% of your orders. That's a pretty common... Yeah occurrence in a in a restaurant right in in and in food business certain foods when i think about how many people in america go to thai restaurants and order pad thai probably a thai restaurant knows they're going to get you know a crazy number of pad thai orders every day from the customers coming in even no matter what they try to do no matter how much they might try to promote other dishes like people are going to order their pad thai so it just makes me laugh it just makes me laugh i'm sitting there going gosh well Okay, so two things come to mind. Like, number one, would it make sense? Would it, would it be crazy to just go, okay, well, you pay attention to the 80-20 rule, and you say, gosh, only 20% of the stuff is, is being purchased, like, 80% of the time, so I'm only going to focus on that 20%, eliminate the other 80%, and see if that drives more sales? Or, I mean, you know, it's weird. It's, like, it's almost like you kind of have to have the fluff in order to get the, 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 the focus on that thing. But I, I feel like it's almost like what Chipotle did, for example. You know, they eliminated kind of like almost all this other stuff and it said, well, people just want either a burrito or a taco, some chips, and a drink. I'm not going to offer nothing else. No tostadas, no enchiladas. I mean, you know what I mean? They, they have their quesadillas for kids, but like, you know what I mean? Chipotle well, uh, should sponsor, should, should sponsor <laughs> the section of the, of the podcast episode. But no, I, I think that that's... that's I think that's kind of what they did, and they figured out a really good business model for it. But, like, I don't know if everybody else could do it, but it's funny if you pay attention to the rule. It almost begs the question, should we do it? Well, here's the thing. At the end of the day, there is a lot of value to having extra variety because there are people who like it. Just because the majority of your customers like the basic, common, the same thing, there is, there is a demand for variety. And that I do believe having some variety 
even if it's forcing people to choose the thing they're safe with, it's it's making them feel comfortable in that choice. It's helping in that sense. But you know, you brought up Chipotle. That's a great example. In and Out is famous for this. In and Out offers what? Like a burger with one patty or two patties. Like that's basically their 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 offering. But they have like a secret menu. And they've got like a hundred things that you can order on the secret menu. So they have, they've basically taken their official menu and done the 80-20 rule on it and said, well, people want a burger and fries. So that's all we're going to offer. But for those people who want it a little different or want some variety, want some, some, something else, like we'll satisfy that extra 20% by, by sort of offering it through like this secret word of mouth menu. Right. Um, But you know, a lot of businesses get very successful by offering a limited amount of choice but there, it's only going to work if you really nail exactly what customers really want, right? Like if you know exactly what customers really want, yeah, you can, you can do really well by promoting those things, by focusing on those exclusively, by getting really efficient at making them so that you save your costs on the things that you know you're going to make. Like Apple used to do this when I worked at, at Apple in supply chain, they would have this thing, I think we call them variants. I think that's the, the typical word for it. But in any case, you'd have your baseline MacBook, let's say, MacBook Pro, and it would have, you know, whatever you would buy on the store in, in the default settings, right? Like this many gigabytes, this much memory. Well, of course, they would forecast that and say, well, how many people buy the defaults? And they would have some idea of that and they would pre-order all those builds. So they would, they would build them all and ship them all to where they need to go. And that, that was the business. They're very, very, very good at it. But one of the things that they would also do is they would look at the orders online and say, well, what are the most common configurations that people order? So how, like, a lot of people upgrade the, the hard drive. A lot of people upgrade the, the SSD. A lot of people upgrade the processor. So they will go through and look at that and say, how many people order each combination? And if those are really common configurations, like custom configurations, then they can use that number and they can get really efficient at making them. They can order instead of waiting for the customer to order the special order for the Mac with an upgraded processor, they can basically look at all their online orders and say, well, 10% of people do this, so let's just, let's just plan ahead and build those really efficiently so we can ship them quickly. And it's a strategic way of looking at the 80-20 rule of all the custom orders that people could make. There's an infinite variety of computers that people can order on the Apple website, but the vast majority of them are the same like 20 configurations, right? Because they're the most common ones that people would want. And so Apple can look at that, be really efficient at making those. And then the other ones, they literally make them one off when people order them because they're just, they're not, there's no efficiency to be gained from trying to, from trying to anticipate that order. Right. Right. So this is a way of being strategic. Everything you just said about targeting your business in this way makes a lot of sense. And I think the the thing I like to think about with Go Be More and, and the things that we work on is we can do the same thing with our lives. We can look at how we spend our day and how many hours we spend at work or how many hours we spend on the projects we're working on in general or how many or the time we're spending with our family, whatever these things are. And we can actually look at this time and say, well, I think this time follows the 80-20 rule. 20% of it is going to generate 80% of the value or 20% of the time we spend working at work, let's say, is probably going to generate 80% of our success or our uh, of our output, let's say, I don't know, whatever it is you you measure for what you're getting done. And the other 80%, it might be necessary, but it's just not nearly as important as the top 20%. And so how can you identify first, what is the top 20%? And then how can you de-emphasize the other stuff and prioritize the top 20% so that you're really putting your energy where it provides the most value and generating oh. the, the results that you want? Like that's where the 80-20 rule, I think, really works. Um, it definitely works at the business level. It works at the political level. It works all over the place. And you can use that way of thinking to, to frame those problems. But I like to think of it as a personal challenge, like as in your personal life. How can we use the 80-20 rule to improve our lives by prioritizing on the things that give us the most value? Yeah, I mean, that would be super great to be able to narrow that down. I mean, and that's, a, that's, that is something that requires taking the time to do it because it's, it requires some re- true, true self-reflection, you know, and, and obviously you have to be somewhat objective as well. You have to really honestly look at what, what you have going on in your life and say, okay, how do I want to improve my life? And, and, and I think maybe a great place to start to exist. The thing I think I was, I'm struggling with right now is figuring out, okay, well, what would be a great way to implement this very clearly effective 
concept, you know, or this rule. Uh, I think it's I think it's asking yourself, what do you want? Right. Like, what are you trying to do right now at this point? That's in right. Life, wherever you're at. Right. Well, well, and then what is the result figuring that you out want? what's supporting that. You know, yes. go ahead. I was saying, what is the result that you're aiming to achieve? Like, if you don't know mm-hmm. what the result is that you want to achieve, you're going to have a lot of trouble figuring out what's driving that result, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. uh, so if your goal is to maximize, to, get, to improve revenue for your business, okay, now you know that's the metric you're trying to look at. Now you can go back out and say, what are my activities appear to be, or you can, if you can measure it, great, but if not, like, what, do they, what appear to be actually driving revenue? and try to figure try to back into the ones that are the most important. Or if you're talking about spending time with your kids and enjoying your time with your family, like what are the activities I do that provide the most value, right? That that really are getting me the result I want, which is quality time that I'm enjoying with my with my kids. And you will find right. that you probably of all the activities you do with your kids, some of them have a lot more value both to your kids and to you, right? And, but it takes a step back and say what are you actually measuring first? Like what do you what do you really want? And once you know that, you can start going backwards and try to figure out what are the activities that lead to it. Okay. So that's the thing that I think everybody, we would want everybody to, to walk away with initially is one of the key things is identifying what it is, what is it that you really want? Because once you know what you really want, then you can start to step back and say, what, like you said, what are the activities uh, that I'm doing right now and uh, that are either helping it or not helping it? And and then start reprioritizing, you know, your efforts in terms of that 80-20 rule because only 20% of what you're doing is going to create 80% of the value. Well, you got to find that 20%. Exactly right. And, you know, well, you, just, you made a comment. Like, you got you to gotta have that feedback. You got to be kind of objective about it. And actually, it makes me, it reminds me right now of our conversation last week when we were talking about how do you develop skills and how do you, you know, part of it is you identify what you think your skills are and what you what you like and what you enjoy and you understand that and the other part we talked about was having feedback from somebody else whether it's a coach or a mentor or some 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 advice in that way and i think this mm-hmm. it goes the same way in this one is if you're trying to figure out what's really driving the thing that you want it's really important to get that feedback and and you can get that feedback by you know, if you've got data you can crunch the numbers and just figure it out maybe but if you don't have data what you might need is somebody to, to pay attention and look at what you're doing and say, hey, you know, if I think if you change X, Y, and Z, you will increase your, re- your results. You'll, get, you'll be more successful by a large factor. I think you told this story last week on the podcast about doing uh, phone sales and your mentor who was teaching you how to do it. Like, I would bet that the things that he was identifying and, and he was watching you do your calls and he's watching you, you know, how you sell and he's, he's got his, all of his experience and he's probably giving you advice that says, you know, if you do this, this, and this, you'll close more deals. And that is, his advice is targeting the 20%. Like he already has sort of internally, he knows what the most important things are in the sales and he's able to watch you and then give you that feedback. And so that might be one great way to try to figure out what is the, the 20% that's going to drive the results you want is, is having somebody else tell you, well, in my experience, you should do X, Y, and Z. Or from my point of view, what I see is if you do more of this, you'll get more of what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, that's exactly what he did. <laughs> he knew what needed to be done, first of all. My, my mentor, Ron Sarmiento, you know, he knew what we needed to do. And so Ron would sit there and say, okay, well, this is your personality. So this is for sure you got to be yourself. Like that's like a key thing for you. So he says, definitely, I want to push you to be yourself. You're selling First yourself, then the product, you know, is what is what he would say to me. So he says, because you want people to trust you and want to work with you and, and want to do business with you. So he says, who you are has to shine, you know. Uh, and then he would give me a couple of other pointers in terms of the key things that general rules, you know, in terms of sales. Like I said, this is certain things that you need to do in order to be able to, you know, close the deal. You know, certain like, you know, things to say, certain questions to ask certain things to listen for. And then on top of that, adding in your flavor to that, those key ingredients is going to allow you, the individual salesperson, you know, succeed as you while still applying the standard rules of sales in general that you just can't get away from, especially if it's phone sales and you're cold calling people like we were. 
So anyways, so that, that's definitely what he did. And he was applying specific rules that he know he knew would work with the, with the, you know, uh, the majority of the sales calls that we were, we were making. Yeah. And I think it, it, it made sense. I mean, my managers, my teammates, when I was working at Apple before that working in consulting, they, they would say to you, we need to do X, Y, and Z. And they would outline those things. And, and their advice was often coming from this standpoint of just knowing that these areas provide way more value than whatever the other things you're working on. One of the best things in life is when you're working on, you have so many things to do and you don't know what to do. And your manager comes and says, you know what, just don't worry about that. Like that is the best thing to hear when somebody comes in and says, you know what, just drop that. Just don't even worry about that because it's a clear sign. It's like, well, now I understand what they prioritize. Like now I understand the relative ranking of these things and what's driving real value. The worst is when you don't really know, you've got all these tasks and you've got all these things you want to do, but you don't have any visibility into how much value they're driving. If you're, if you're working on stuff and you're clueless as to how it's being used, it's really a frustrating experience. So that's my advice maybe to some managers is if you've got people you're working with on your team and you're, and you're looking at trying to improve your team's production, one of the best ways you can do it is by helping to frame for your team. These activities are, you know, this is used in this way and it drives this value, which is really key to us. And so I want you to focus on these areas for these reasons. The more you can explain that, because you probably already know if you're in a position of managing it and trying to drive those metrics, if, if you already know that, the more your team can be aware and aligned around those priorities, the more likely you are to hit the targets that you're trying to hit. The, because everybody's going to be working towards the same set of priorities. It's, a, it's really difficult when you've got just an infinite number of tasks to do and it's vague which ones are the most important or the ones that are most necessary for you know today versus tomorrow versus next week. That is a very difficult situation to be in. I've been in that experience a lot, so I, I'm like reliving some of it right now. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so, Breathe, but, breathe, it's okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when I look at this, you know, I really believe very strongly in using this concept of 80-20 thinking to, whenever I encounter a new problem, to try to say to myself, well, I, I assume that a small percentage of what I do is going to have a large impact on resolving this. So what, what should I do? What are my, the possible things I could do and which one seems like it's going to drive the most value? And I use it as a, as a thought process before I start doing something to say, well, what should I be doing right now? Like what, what seems like the best idea? And I don't always know, but it's, a, it, it's another framework of helping me to decide and, and make a decision for a reason on why I'm going to pursue whatever path I'm going to do. Yeah, it's it's funny because I'm going back and forth in my head as as we're talking about this because, unfortunately for you, you shared this article with me from the Harvard Business Review and I'm staring at it as we're talking and I'm going back and <laughs> forth and I'm like, where when can I bring this article in because it's a great article but it kind of it's a little bit it somewhat counters I guess what we're saying and it somewhat supports what we're talking about with the eighty twenty rule but the thing that's interesting to me is. I feel like the aspect of the article, and we should share it because it's really, really good. Uh, it's an article. Well, John, what's the article the, called? What's it called? Yeah. What's well, an article by the author's name is Peter Bregman. Uh, and the article is called, You Need to Practice Being Your Future Self. I guess the topic or category that they put this under for Harvard Business Review is managing yourself. And, it, and, and this is an article actually from March 28th, 2016. The interesting thing about the the article, for me, as it relates to this conversation, is what do you focus on? When it comes to being productive, what do you focus on? So it's interesting to me because we're saying focus on the 20% that's, yield, that's yielding 80% of the value in terms of whatever it is you're trying to, you know, get something out of in terms of driving results. But the, the funny thing about what this guy's writing in this article is it's not that he's even arguing against what we're saying at all. What he's talking about though, is focusing on some of the things that don't feel like you're like, is very productive and it doesn't clearly or obviously and immediately yield any immediate results are 
or immediate benefits. It's like this development of skills and stuff because you're, again, what he says at the very beginning in the title, you're trying to develop, you know, being your future self, practicing becoming or being your future self. So you're doing all these little things that don't seem like they make a lot of sense and that you don't want to spend any time doing in order to eventually be that person or be skilled enough to do that thing that you want to do or whatever it might be. But you're doing these small tasks that you usually put off and avoid because you just feel like it's not worth it. And so I, I kind of feel like it's worth bringing up only because it provides a little bit of contrast to the conversation. Well, um, well, I me, want to dive into that to, just a little bit because I feel like it's Let kind me try of, to frame nice, it you know? the way I understood it because I've read the article as well. What's really interesting about this to me is you've got what you need to do today to be productive to achieve today's goals or, and whatever those are, whatever you're trying to do today. And there's an 80-20 rule that applies to that. Whatever you're measuring, whatever it is you're trying to maximize today or in the short term, there's a... I guarantee you there's an 80-20 rule that you can apply to try to figure out how to get the most with the least amount, the most efficient effort, the most least amount of effort put in to get the best results today. Then his article is really interesting because he says there's your future self is something that you have to prepare for and you have to work towards becoming. It's not just going to happen. You have to strategically turn yourself into whoever you want to be in the future. And the problem with that is the activities you need to do today to become the person you want to be in the future have very little benefit on what you're trying to do today. They don't align maybe to your 80-20 priorities for today. They're way in the 80% because they have very little impact on today. But there might be in the 20% of what you need to be developing in terms of skills to be who you want to be tomorrow in the future. And so this is a really interesting challenge. And I, think, I actually think it does apply to the 80-20 rule. And I, I'm going to make, I would make the argument that when you know, if what you want to measure is your future self, let's say in five years, you want to be in a different career and doing a different, doing a different thing. In the article, he mentions creative writing, novels and stuff. But let's say you want to just change careers and you want to go down a different path. Well, you might need to start developing skills today to get to that path. It's not just going to happen unless you actively make it happen. So let's say that career is writing and you want to be a novelist and you want to, in five years, you don't want to be working in a company anymore. You want to be a novelist. Okay. Well now his argument is you need to prioritize writing today. You need to write and write and write and you need to prioritize doing it somehow because that is critical to becoming the person you want to be. So if you're looking at today's goals, the writing is way in the 80%. It's providing no value to what you want to achieve. But if you look in the future, it's definitely in the top 20% because that's gonna, it's what's going to get you there. And I think that is, I, I don't say it's easy to balance those two things. In fact, he makes the argument it's very difficult and we, and we have to be very conscious about it. And we have to make that decision very carefully. And we have to be very dedicated to it, knowing that it's not providing the 80-20 value we, are, we normally look for in our lives today. Okay, so that's what, was, that's what I was thinking, at least without knowing that I was thinking that, but I felt like there was a, connect, <laughs> I felt like there was a connection there. No, there is. To, to there make is, absolutely. The so so that, that's cool. Okay, so I like that. So, that, so the 80-20 rule applies even there. So it's, it's how you're spending that, what feels like unproductive time. Uh, how are you dividing up that effort, you know, and applying the 80-20 rule for, th- for that effort is the key to, I think, being successful with, your effort in terms of preparing for your future self, if you're going to think about it, uh, think about it from that standpoint in terms of like the way you're, you know, dividing up your, your time and your effort for both what you need to get done today and, and those activities and things that are going to prepare you for the future. Either way, you're trying to figure out what are the key things that I should be focusing on that fall into that 20% category that, that are going to yield the 80% results that I'm looking for for today or for tomorrow, whatever that might be. Yeah, so I think I that's kind of cool. So I, li- I like the article. I definitely think it's worth sharing in the show notes. I just felt like there was, it was a great article. And, and of course, you know, I, mean, I, I, I had this great speech, uh, or at least I thought it was great, for these real estate agents out here in Santa Ana at, 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 for Keller Williams, you know, small office out here. And I, was, I, I talked about the concept of, of, of act as if and seeing yourself as that person that you want to be today and telling yourself, what would that person do if I was already that person and doing those things now? Because I'm like, you don't become the Olympic champion all of a sudden. 
you were the Olympic champion and doing all this stuff that makes an Olympic champion an Olympic champion way before that ever happened. Because it's not going to happen by accident. It's going to happen on purpose. That's why I really like this article. And now I think the, uh, implementing the 80-20 rule in terms of how you look at that, in terms of your effort, fantastic. I think it's wonderful. I think it's and very I think, helpful. I think something that you know I'm going to take with me next time I teach my class on the 80-20 rule is that the 80-20 rule applies to the results you're analyzing right now. Like, what are you trying to get out? And th it's a very real possibility that the that what you're trying to achieve today, there are activities that provide no value to it, but that you should be considering doing. You should be investing your time. It's not a case of use the 80-20 rule, pick a goal for today, and only do that task because that goal is the only goal that matters. That's never the case. We always have lots of competing goals, lots of competing responsibilities, things that we need to balance. And we have to accept that an activity that is unproductive for one might be essential for another. And if that's the case, allocating our time accordingly. And as with anything else, the 80-20 rule is just a tool. It's, it's, just a, it's just one extra tool in your tool belt for trying to think through how to handle whatever situation you're in and what, what you should be doing in that moment. And I'm glad you brought up the article because I hadn't made the connection the, the way you did, but I think there's a, the balancing of priorities is not just about what do I do to achieve this particular goal I'm analyzing. It's how do I balance my time to achieve multiple goals and multiple responsibilities throughout my life. And that is, uh, we often put off the future in order to focus on today. And that's the power of that article is he's arguing you can't afford to do that as even though you feel completely unproductive in the moment if you pursue developing your future. It makes me think, we talked a little bit about the positive aspects of 80-20, right? And, and that's kind of the whole theme of the discussion so far has been on the positive aspects of it in that, you know, 20% of what you do creates 80% of your results or 20% of what you do now might create 80% of your future success. 20% of your customers create 80% of your revenue. But I actually think it's really important also to flip it around and do what I call negative 80-20 because just as 20% of your positive activities can create 80% of your positive results, 20% of your negative activities can create 80% of your negative results. And this is sure. a really yeah. important thing to keep in mind because sometimes it's not about what you're doing to move forward. It's about what you're doing that's holding you back, right? And, and that could be anything from your own habits in terms of being distracted or getting sucked into to, to things, going down YouTube deep dives and, and not getting your work done. Or it could be the people in your lives, right? One of my students gave me this great example, and I don't know if it's true. He said it to me in a very authoritative way. Well, you know, 5% of the people in your life create 90% of your stress. And the way he said it, I said to myself, like, well, you sound like you've researched that. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. But, <laughs> but then I thought about it, and I said to myself, actually, it feels about right. Even if the numbers, like, again, the numbers don't matter, right? Everybody's situation is different but a very small number of people do create the majority of our stress, right? I mean, that's my experience. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, 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 I well, what's the other saying? You know, if you want to know your future, look at your five closest friends, you know, our five closest contacts, and you kind of have an yep. idea of, because you're surrounding yourself with the kind of people that are going to kind of influence the way you think, which is going to influence the way you act, which is obviously going to influence your outcomes, you know, and what you pursue that or again, don't John. pursue. What's that I, I think it's. The, I think it was. I, I'm. I don't think I'm getting 100 percent right. If you want to know what your future looks like, uh, look at your five close, closest contacts or friends in the five people that you spend the mo the majority of your time with, and 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 that'll give you a, a, a kind of an idea of what your future is going to look like. So where this comes from is like Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Those kinds of thinkers and motivational speakers, personal growth and mindset type coaches and, and, and authorities, they say that only because they're like, look, at the end of the day, you, you want to be surrounding yourself with, with like-minded people that share similar ideas and goals and dreams that you have because you're all going to figure out how to get there because you, you, you either you've done it and you feed the other people in that group or you're all going to go through trial and error and teach each other through trial and error what's the right thing to do or what's the wrong thing to do and navigate your way towards the goals and, and, and dreams that you have. But if you're surrounding yourself with people that are, differ in, in terms of what that looks like, well then whatever you, they, whatever that group 
in your inner circle is, that's really what you're going to have. And when you find yourself struggling to break out of what whatever it is that's in your inner circle, well, it's because you're fighting against this collective mindset that you're spending the majority of your time with and your mind's focused on that instead of the other thing. So you do breaking out of that is a really, t- really tough thing. So that what your student is referencing has been referenced by great thinkers and speakers and co- life coaches and stuff like that. You know, they kind of say that surround yourself with the people that you want who share what you want and what you want to do or have done what you want to do so that you can actually be constantly motivated and guided down the right path to success. It's It makes total sense. I love the quote. I hadn't heard it before, but it's like, it's such a great embodiment of the, the concept we're talking about. You know, like the, your five closest friends have an outsized impact on your future, right? And and yeah. that is basically the 80-20 rule right there, right? And I, I would just throw out a couple more examples. I mean, if you're, you know, obviously how you spend your time getting sucked into things that are distracting you and, and are unproductive you might have one particular thing, like one of my students referenced that they're, they don't get enough sleep and it affects everything else they do in their day. And that's 100% true. I guarantee that's yeah. true for them, right? Like they, they, they nailed it when they were analyzing for themselves where the 80-20 rule applies to them. You, you said this reference about your five closest friends. I really believe like of all your, the friends we have, you know, 20% of them, probably even a smaller percent, create an outsized percentage of all of our best memories. And those are the people we should be spending our time with, right? Like we should be creating more opportunities to spend time with those people. And if there's the opposite, where 20% of the of, of the people in our lives are causing us stress or causing us more problems, like we need to find ways to reduce that time that they spent, to reduce the impact that they have on our life. It will have an outsized effect on our happiness and on our productivity. Yeah, and I would say to that to that extent, when it comes to relationships, I, I would say that the thing that as I get older, the thing that I've, I've come to realize is that, um, you know, you, 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 when it comes to relationships, like I think if you apply the 80-20 rule, it's kind of an interesting thing because you, you can only avoid relationships so much before it's like you have to put work into them. And I think it's looking at what you are not doing. Right? How are you approaching the relationship? How are you thinking about the relationship? That's going to influence a lot of how that relationship really blossoms. And I think that that's a wonderful thing that I've, I'm happy to have, that I've come to realize is, as I, you know, I approach, you know, the age of 40. I'm, I'm, you know, 38 now. And I'm excited to have come to that realization that, again, what you, what relationships are so vital to, your life in general and and even with the people that you surround yourself with i think that sometimes we're thinking we're just being influenced by who we're surrounding ourselves with but we're also influencing the people that are in our inner circle as well it goes both ways and sometimes you can have a stronger influence than the than the influence that's being cast upon you if you're clear on who you are what you want and you do your homework in terms of the best ways to really go about pursuing what you want to achieve Ultimately, when you look at relationships, if you apply the 80-20 rule, I would say think of it in that same way where sometimes you got to eliminate relationships and sometimes you just got to work harder on relationships, depending on what those relationships are and who those, who those people are. Because sometimes that's it's not an option to get out of the relationship or to get, get away from it. What you need to do is turn around and say, wait a minute. If it's not working out the way that I want it to, if it's not working out the way that I think it should, what can I do to improve the relationship and start f- tr- looking for that 20% that's going to yield that 80% value in, in, in terms of that? So it's a fun thing. I, I really do like this concept. And I think that you can look at it both ways. If there is a negative 80-20 part of, of something in your li- portion of your life, can you do the inverse with that 80-20 and say, well, how can I how am I approaching it and how can I improve it, you know, so that I can get the better experience out of this situation, you know? That's exactly it. I think whether it's your spouse, whether it's your kids, whether it's your team at work or your manager or your employees who, who report to you, it's your friends. The reality is there's a good chance that whatever frustrations and stress that you're feeling in that relationship certain behaviors that you have, certain habits, certain routines, whatever they are, are probably generating the majority of that frustration. It's not, there's no guarantee. I don't know. I can't tell. There's no, there's no one size fits all answer. But I do think looking at it and saying, 
okay, I'm having a lot of difficulties with my son, who my teenage son, who's going through these experiences in his life, and I'm going through my experiences in my life, and we are not clicking and we're fighting a lot. Well, probably if you take a step back and say, there's probably a few things that you could try to improve on that would have a much bigger impact on your overall relationship. I don't know what those are. That's for you and your son to work through and figure out. And I'm not speaking about you. I'm actually thinking about somebody else. So I, I don't want that to come across to you, John, is this. But but the reality is I'm thinking yeah. about a friend of mine who has talked about problems that she's struggles she's had with her teenage son, right? And I think about even my daughters, they're younger. But, you know, okay, certain habits that, that we're allowing them to create are probably going to have a bigger impact. Let's let's think about these and what are our top priorities and what are what are the things we want to sort of nip in the bud if they're if they're developing a bad habit and what are things that are probably not going to have much impact so we should stop stressing about them and letting them cause us frustration and stress because they're just trivial they're not important and it's okay to let them go right the approach of looking at it and assuming that some things are way more important than others will hopefully give us the freedom to let some things go and pursue others more proactively right um yeah and the last thing i want to go to because i really think it's important is, I think we've already kind of hinted at this in like three or four ways without really saying it, is that let's say you're go to work and you've got a hundred things that you need to do, just using a number, and you've got a hundred different deliverables, a hundred different different routines and tasks and, 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 I don't know, activities. Well, probably 80-20 rule says roughly 20% of those are going to drive the majority of your actual success and results. Like if you prioritize those and you nail those and you do a great job, you're most of the way there to being really successful in your job. Now you just take those 20%, those 20 activities. You can do the 80-20 rule again on that. And this is what I call next level 80-20. You take your all your routines and whether you're talking time or you're talking like actual activities, divide it up and say, okay, I'm going to study. I need to study for five hours for a test. Well, the first hour is going to be the most important probably. And then within that first hour, maybe the first 12 minutes, if I really map out what do I need to study and what do I need to focus on, I'll spend the rest of the hour studying those things and be really productive. And all the rest of the time is like like way lower in, in productivity. I might have nailed most of the study I need to do in the first hour if I approached it with a really strong first 10 minutes, let's prep and know exactly what strategically I want to study and how I'm going to do it. And then the rest of the hour, I do that. At that point, maybe they don't even have to study the other four hours because you've nailed you've nailed it so much that the rest of it is just sort of bonus right and in work it's the same thing you've got all these different deliverables well let's pick the ones that you know are most important and within that what's the right what's the next thing you do to make that group the most productive and it could be prioritizing the like the order you do them but it also could be prioritizing maybe the the mindset you take towards doing them right i really believe this like a lot of the time where we struggle to to stay productive and where we struggle to achieve our goals and get the most out of them is that we are not approaching the tasks with the right level of focus or mentality to actually get the most out of them right mm. and that and that might be something that like a mentor like you said Ron Sarmiento might have watched you and said hey, no this is how you need to approach this and if you think this way and if you act and your actions align with this you will be more successful i just now this i take it's it's really hard to have a conversation like this in a very general way because I feel like everybody has their examples and they might hear my specific example and think, well, that doesn't apply to me, right? And so you want to stay sort of general. But when you think about running, you and I were both runners. And I always think about this from a next level 80-20. You know, there's a 20% of, of running. It's, it's, all, it's how you practice. You've got your interval training programs. You've got your, your how much mileage are you running? What, what's your, what are you doing in terms of your interval work and your intensity? you got weight training, flexibility, core work, all these other things fall in the 80-20. There's a lot of other stuff you could do, but it doesn't have much effect on your overall success, right? And then within that, you start to go down and say, well, now there's a, if you're talking long distance running, I was mentioning this to you at some point, it's like really hard threshold running and building up your really base endurance to a really high level is what's going to dictate a lot of your success. The intervals are just refining that, that baseline endurance ability that you've built up. But even then you go one step further. What's well, what's really the 20% that makes that possible? And that is like that is to me your mindset and your focus and your ability to stay focused in the workout and actually push each workout to the limit of what that workout is meant to achieve. If you mentally can't do that, you are not going to hit the goals of the workout. And if you don't hit the goals of the workout, 
you're losing the 80%. You're missing out on the, the outsized effect of what you're, what you're aiming to get out of your training. So it, to me, it's kind of like next level is how you focus and how you approach it from a mental standpoint. The next is, are you doing the right activities in the right order with the right amount of intensity? And then after that, it sort of starts to get all the other, all the other stuff you need to do. And you need to do that other stuff to be great. You can't, you can't be great if you're not doing all the other stuff. But you kind of have to nail the first things first before those things really matter. Right. No, I think that sums it up really well. I think that's where we should end it for this particular conversation. Because walking away from this, for me... I feel like it's almost like, and we say this a lot too, one of the cool things, things that we say is give yourself the permission to dream. The permission to dream. And so it's like the same thing with this. Give yourself the permission to focus on the most valuable, productive aspects of what you have to do or it's on your list of things to do first. It's hard as it is. And don't do the stuff that's easy because if it's not yielding the true value, even though it's easy to do and you can check it off your list, leave it there. It's okay. Focus on the thing that's like number one. It's probably going to take the majority of your time, but it's also going to yield the biggest results. Because honestly, if you're not even getting that done, you're not going to have the luxury of working on that other stuff anyway. You know, if it's what we're talking about revenue for business. Same thing with the relationships, though. It's critical that you do the thing that matters the most first that's going to have the biggest impact and then everything else after that, if you can get to it. But even if you don't, it's probably not going to really matter in the long run because you're doing the main thing or things that's going to actually give you the ultimate result that you're looking for. So it is that priority and it's giving yourself the permission to let go uh, of the other stuff and just kind of let it sit there and be undone because ultimately you were looking for results. And the 80-20 rule, I think, is a really fun way to help get you there. I, I agree. And I, I'm going to just say that thinking through this and thinking about you and your quote about if you want to know your future, look at your five closest friends. I, You know what I'm going to do is I'm going to reach out to a few people that I consider to be my closest friends and I just ha haven't been in touch as much with them. And the reality is I think these are really important people in my life and there's I don't have a reason for not being in touch with them. I get way more joy out of my experiences and interactions with them than I do most of the people I might interact with on, on a daily basis. And so, yeah, I encourage anybody listening to do the same thing. Like if you know that there's somebody out there who's you're really close with and you haven't been incorporating them into your life enough, like reach out. Like that's a, it's a great way to get way more joy and, and, and into your life in a really simple, easy step, I think. So that's what I'm going to be doing after this. John, awesome. I really enjoyed this. I'm glad we talked about this. I, I love this topic, obviously. I love having conversations with you when I don't really give you a chance to fully prepare because you just come off the cuff and you and, and I get to hit you with my all my ideas and then I just hear your responses. And so uh, it's it was good. I'm it's really fun. glad you agreed I mean, to do it. It's fun. I mean, I, I'll be honest, you know, like... A lot of the stuff it, it, I know through pursuing greatness, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that I became great. I mean, uh, in running, but like, I definitely feel like I excelled and reached the top of my sport in my event because all these different concepts that we talk about, but man, it's so cool to kind of like, and this is what I think is so great for those who are now becoming our listeners and, and, and paying attention to what we're talking about. I think it's great. There's so much value in it because I think sometimes you're doing it. You don't even know you're doing it. And then when you identify it, you can do what you've been doing even better, applying these rules, these mental models and these concepts. So, yeah, I mean, keep them coming, man. This is fun. I Half the time I might be asking you a lot of questions. I might be one of your students. Other times, if it's all about motivation and inspiration and, and, and just going for it, dreaming big, that's me, man. That's what I do. But I love, love, love the contrast between the two of us, man. So thank you so much for, for this wonderful conversation. And, and I do believe there's a lot of value in this in this rule. And, I, and again, guys, we do talk about these different topics, but we will dive into them further. I can see a lot of these initial topics that we're addressing at the beginning of this brand new podcast show this will become a series you know different topics and we can build on it with maybe a couple of them with a few other subsequent episodes where it kind of all ties it together or builds upon it so i kind of see this going in a lot of different places so this is just the, the first i think of many conversations about the 80 20 rule so 
All right, John, thank you. Let's end it here. All right. Thank you, Brian. Thank you all for tuning in. You can find links to any articles or items we referenced in the show notes. Please subscribe and be sure to give us a rating. And remember to tell a friend about the show. The Gobi Moore podcast is produced by Gobi Moore Apparel. Check us out at gobimore.co. For all of us at Gobi Moore, we are what the world is chasing, and we hope this podcast helps you become what the world is chasing too. Thank you.